We're always keen to bring you new insights into sports, and today we've got one of the more unique sports athletes joining us on the Arm Go podcast, Adam Burgess. Adam is an Olympic canoe slalomist, fourth in the Tokyo Olympics, missing bronze by just 0.16 seconds. He's also won four medals at the World Championships and four at the European Championships. Adam has already had an incredible career as an athlete, but as you'll hear from this episode, Adam reckons he's really been able to hone in on exactly what he needs to do to improve ready for the Paris 2024 Olympic Games. Now last week we heard from Ed Jackson and what an inspiring story that was. If you've been following us on our Instagram you'll have seen the answers to his two truths and one lie which we do at the end of each episode. The options he gave us were I once bumped into David Bowie and WH Smith, I've had Christmas dinner with the Beckhams and I rugby tackled the JPR Williams when I was three years old. His correct lie was, he did not bump into David Bowie and WH Smith. Definitely check out Ed's story when you get a mo. Now let's get on and welcome Adam Burgess. A great episode, this one. Adam, thank you very much for joining us today on the Armago pe- uh, podcast. What an absolute pleasure it is to have you here. Um, what I want to start by talking about a little bit is um, obviously about canoe slalom, but specifically, what about it uh, you really enjoy uh, and really love doing today? Oh, so uh, canoe slalom is just the best sport in the world. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm pretty biased, but um, no, I like the feeling of, being in control of of that white water you know when when you've got the boat in the right place you're locked in on your paddle um there's there's where i train here in lee valley there's 11 tons of water going down that channel every second you know you're on the right side of that you're you're in control of that force um honestly it just feels like flying so yeah that's why i love it but yeah i mean conversely you know that water is that powerful and every now and again it likes to remind you who's boss yeah yeah um, and uh yeah i mean that's that's all part of it it's um it's a mind game um you know you've got to be technically good you've got to be strong you've got to be adaptable good at making decisions in the moment um and yeah it's it's just a fascinating puzzle that i will always be trying to figure out <laughs> So you know, you touched on a number of things there, like uh, being adaptable, you know, thinking in the moment and everything like that. Um, what I want to do, which we often do with quite a few of our guests, is kind of go back to your childhood and kind of perhaps look a little bit at where these sort of traits come from, because obviously you're competing right at the top level here. I think it's quite common that often these traits are developed at quite a young age. Um, so what were you like uh, in, in your early days? Yeah, I think I was always an energetic kid. My mum always says that I never learned to walk. I just started running. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, the first sport that I loved was football. Still do. Um, actually wanted to be a goalkeeper when I was young, but um, I, was, I, I was really tiny as a kid. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't grow till I was about 18, really. Um, wow. and, and there was a point where um, the goals got bigger. And, <laughs> and basically, I was, I, was, I, was, I think, I mean, you know, when we look back, we were all, we're all amazing. We'd have all made it had it not been for our knee um, <laughs> or whatever it was. But uh, no, I think I was a pretty decent shot stopper, but I just wasn't big enough um, at the time. Um, but, you know, 
worked out well for me because I found canoe slalom. Um, but I think, you know, you do mention that in some of the traits in the early days. Um, it's something I only remembered recently, but I have memories of, I used to come up with my own like training drills. Um, and I was, I was, you know, I used to come up with it on my own and I just, I just spend ages at home. Just, you know, one of them in particular I remember was throwing a ball against this wall where it would rebound off mm-hmm. a bit awkward. Um, yeah. And I just spent ages doing it. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's something that's probably stuck with me a little bit in that, you know, the way even now I do like to do my own thing quite a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I've got access to an absolutely world-class coach and, and he's amazing, but every now and again, I need to go canoeing on my own. Yeah, um, I need to just go and play. And yeah, throughout the early years, I used to do a lot of training on my own. Um, I grew up paddling on the River Trent in Stone and would do sessions there before school, after school, in the evenings. And, and yeah, like similarly, I'd try to, you know, design my own sort of type of session. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, that's probably something that's been stuck with me all the way through, um, right the way to now where, you know, my approach to training, my philosophy is, is, is very personal. You mentioned there about football uh, and how that was something that you really found quite a bit of passion for as well. Did you always have like really big ambitions for these things or was it just that you just really loved kind of playing it there and then? Yeah, I've always I've always loved sport just for doing it. Um, yeah. You know, I've always been, I think I've been fascinated by like just the process of learning and getting better and certainly with slalom, you know, I'm I'm just trying to master it, which is impossible in our sport. So it's, you know, I'll, I'll always be satisfied that I'm pursuing it. But, um, you know, actually, at the same time, it's it's probably, I don't show it often, but um, I think, you know, I'm I'm probably more competitive than, than sometimes I give myself credit for. Like, there's actually another sport I used to do, but you boys mentioned this two truths and a lie thing, Chest, and I might save that one. Yeah, dude, good um, idea. <laughs> but um, I was good at it, so... Um, I think I just got a taste for for winning and and you know like that feeling always have yeah I I think it's probably a negative trait but quite often do you know bite off more than I can chew with things you know say yes to things try and do everything and and yeah so um definitely always been been ambitious certainly with canoe slalom you know I was probably only 12 years old when I knew I wanted to be an Olympian wow Uh, I don't even do the sport a year really that's fascinating yeah, yeah. So where did that kind of inspiration come from do you think so it was around the time of the athens 2004 olympics yeah um i'd started the year before that and it, it was it was meant to just be a hobby right like i had something on pretty much every night of the week and it was you know when i first told my mum i wanted to start canoeing and we, we had this opportunity through school it was like another thing i have to take you to kind of thing and <laughs> um you know it quickly overtook everything else and I was only really doing canoeing but you know I I remember um my granddad had recorded it for me as well because I I think I was a bit young and you know I I didn't wouldn't necessarily be looking out for the Olympics coming on Mm. um my granddad had recorded the final for me and British guy Campbell Walsh won a silver medal and I must have watched that recording so many times um met him you know not long after that um yeah. we went to look at the um at the time the national water sports center in nottingham um and he'd i, I think feel like he just got back or something and i remember we met him at the white water course and it was just like 
you know, strange when you, it's like, you know, absolute hero to me at the time. It's kind of niche. It's like a canoe slalom hero, but, um, you know, and there's a really cool photo actually of um, the three of us with one of my teammates who became Olympic champion in Rio. And um, Campbell um, is towering over both of us. Yeah. And he's actually a little guy. He's not that tall. So oh, now really? if we took that photo, we'd both be towering over him. Yeah. Um, and then it's quite nice, you know, that, that both of us made it to the Olympic Games. So obviously he's won it. Um, you know, I'm still pursuing that one. But yeah, I think just, you know, watching that, meeting him. And one of the great things about my club is, you know, right the way through at every level, there's, there's someone to chase. Mm. You know, and it's not it's not like that person that's just gone to Olympic Games because that seems way too far. It's yeah. you know the next step. It's people who've just made the junior team for the first time. Yeah, um, you know, and you you're on the water with them. You get to watch them. You get to see that oh, they're only a few years older than me, and you know they started around this time. They're doing this type of training. That's what I need to do. Mm. Um, I think yeah, it's it's like the strength of that club that I was from that you you can just see the whole um pathway right away to the top from a young age so i think you know i probably believed it more at points then than i have done you know throughout my 20s mm-hmm. in a weird way so you know obviously i've got like the closer and closer i've got to it you know sort of not really being in contention but but certainly taking selection seriously for london 2012 yeah um and then, and then Rio, like, you know, internationally, certainly of the standard, but we only get to send one boat per nation. And it's just so competitive in Great Britain. So, you know, the, almost the closer I was getting, the, the more realistic you become and you realise, you know, this is, this is really hard. And, and you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's people in our sport internationally who have been ranked number one in the world, but never been to an Olympic Games. Yeah, they've got to win their national trials as well. I, I think you know, part of me always believed it would happen, but I think as a kid, it's it's easier to to dream, and you know, you're almost quite naive at that point. You know, there's there was probably you know thirty kids around a similar level all going for that, and then you know, as you get through the pathway and closer and closer, that um, you know, as people start start dropping out, not making results, all that sort of thing, it gets gets um, high up the pyramid i guess yeah yeah i think that's really interesting i think i think you're absolutely right like you almost have to be a bit delusional at the beginning you have to yeah. Sort of, you know, yeah. If, if you realize everything that you're about to go through and all the challenges and everything um like it's probably a bit similar to you know setting up a business here that you know if you if you go into it at the start and you like you're wide-eyed which most people are you'll just go for it and you'll just go go everything and then you know you get setbacks and things like that but talking about setbacks, as you know, thinking this almost as a bit of a triangle where you've got people dropping out, you know, mm. what do you think was one of the things that stood you apart from some of the others that were um, falling down that triangle and, and dropping out? Part of it for me is just how much I do love the sport. Mm. I've, I've always enjoyed it. You know, I'd never, never not wanted to go canoeing because it's training. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Every time I go and I enjoy it. And I think that part of that is why part of that makes me a bit more intrinsically motivated to master this sport. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily just about results, which in a sport like mine, which is so cruel, um, you know, you have to have that, that perspective. Uh, you know, you're not going to win every day. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to have a lot more bad days than good ones. So if there's not, if you've not got a good sort of 
grounding there to get you through those tough days then yeah. then you just don't make it um and then yeah like the good ones become extra worthwhile right you know i've had injuries and stuff so particularly i i say 20 around 2013 2014 probably the the toughest years i've had yeah um i was flying in 2012 really sort of felt like i was announcing myself as a senior athlete um you know i i come close to causing a bit of an upset at the selection um almost made the senior team didn't quite but then i picked up some races as a reserve later on um yeah. made a final at one of my first ever World Cup races on this venue in Prague, which, you know, it's, it's renowned for everyone loves it. It was my first time there and like making the final, it was quite a big deal. Um, I came fourth in the end. I had a, a two second penalty, brushed one on my back and it cost me a medal. Oh. Um, so it would have been an even better story. But that was, you know, people took note, people noticed that. Um, and I felt like I was really coming through. Um, and, you know, only a few weeks after that, I, um, I had a disc injury on my spine um which probably just pointed more to uh, like a deeper problem um and then yeah like a few months down the line it it come out that um i had a stress fracture yeah i think i raced selection the following year um and i remember on the last day i was i my back had really sort of gone quite acute at that point and i was sort of stuck leaning over to one side yeah, yeah. Um, and we just dosed up on painkillers and rest um but then it was you know I was I made the team but then I had to pull out um I had six months completely out of the boat um which is the longest by far the longest time I've spent out of the boat um and you know coming back after that it was then it was you know I was always quite used to being the fastest in my age group and sort of around yeah like around me and all of a sudden I come back and you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, third or fourth or whatever. And, um, it's a long way to catch that up. Um, and I probably didn't really until 2015, 2016, but then, yeah, I think it was just, you know, the love for the sport and made me want to, um, come back. I think, you know, you focus on the small things, you focus on what you can do each day to try and get a little bit better. And yeah, um, I mean, I got the, I got the kind of the fairy tale ending to that one. Cause I come back in 2015, make the senior team for the first time and then also go to the 23 world championships and won that. Yeah. Um, having come really close that year in 2012, when I was flying, um, had to pull out in 13 because of the injury, um, close again in 2014, but that was, you know, sort of on my return still. So that was like a real marker for me. I went to that race, um, you know, I was 100% there to win um, and I had so much confidence going in that, um, yeah, that sort of ended that. Well, it, doesn't always, it doesn't always happen like that though, right? So, you no. know, I had, the, I had the upset and I kind of came back from it and got the result. Mm. Uh, but I'd like to think, you know, even without that, it was still a, you know, a worthwhile journey to get to where I am now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's very, very, very few athletes we've had on here that haven't gone through some sort of, like tough adversity mm. um and got because it it makes you even more hungry to go out there and win right you know mm. the, you come back and suddenly you're you're fired up even more you realize how like you know this is something that you absolutely love you do it day in day out and like a bit like covid you know that can be whipped away from you 
um, you know, what like you were probably able to still do some of the sport over COVID, but you know, other sports like people playing rugby or football, whatever it may be, you know, it really re- t- teaches them and everything like how quickly that can be whipped away. Um, and so, no, I, I can I can see absolutely the kind of progression that you made there, and also how that's probably uh, influenced you a lot further down the line. Speaking of bad days, I imagine it's it's become easier to cope with bad bad days as you get further down the line because you get used to it uh, and you there's a kind of process um but talk to me about kind of some of the the earlier setbacks of bad days that you, you might have used to have yeah so i guess you know mostly around injury so that one in particular but um you know i've had others 2017 and 2018 both of those winters were were pretty heavily affected for me and it's, you know, you, you can learn so much actually in that. I think that's that's part of what it is. I think it's not about, you don't lose heart. You actually try and think, okay, well, what can I do here? And and sometimes, you know, you it, it's actually quite good to step away mm-hmm. for a little while. The injury actually gives you a break, a bit of a mental break. And, and what I found is that if I have ever had an extended period off like that, I come back so motivated. Mm. And, and I know exactly what it is I want to work on. You know, when you're just in your training, you know, some days it is hard to actually know what am I actually working on right now? Or am I just practicing yeah. and stuff? You know, that's the main thing I've learned, actually, that, you know, if I've had time off, it's, it's important to nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. So as soon as as soon as you start feeling something, um, you know, and this is a lesson you have. I'm still learning it again and again. You know, we never fully learn this one, but you know, shoulders a bit sore, whatever it is, you, you think you can just carry on, it'll go away, but it, yeah. most of the time it doesn't. Um, you think you get better at re- recognising which are the ones that are just like, you know, pains because it's hard work and which are the ones that are injuries, but, um, you know, you get that wrong every now and again still. Um, but no, that's an important thing is, you know, recognising quickly, like, okay, no, I am injured here, right? I need to rest because, you know, I'd much rather lose a day or two then lose a month that was a huge lesson for me um like the grand scheme of things it's it's not that big a deal you know if I have to miss a day or two of training just because my elbow's starting to flare up um you know I'm, I'm way more comfortable about that than I used to be I think when I was younger you sort of you know you worry yeah missing but you know it, over a year you you don't notice that another thing I, I guess yeah like coming back with like new ideas and not necessarily just what you want to work on, but like different approaches and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I am getting injured a lot here or because of a certain style of, of training or training plan. And, uh, you know, I've come back before and, and mixed all that up and then had, had really long. I mean, I guess, yeah, since going into the Olympic selection year in 2019, you know, I've barely lost any time for injury. Um, there's been, mostly down to you know understanding what causes it for me mm-hmm. changing my training plan and philosophy my approach yeah. accordingly and then like nipping that in the bud and yeah i guess less and less bad days yeah like that have come um i guess and yeah i guess the other kind is you know the race days the disappointments um and and for me you know in a sport like ours you just need to have perspective you've got to know that um it is very much on the day yeah and, um, you know, you, you, you set other goals, you know, the race isn't necessarily just about the end result. Sometimes you go in, you know, with a certain goal in mind, a certain way you want to be or, um, you know, a way you want to feel on the start line and you achieve that, cool, box ticked, got what I wanted, enjoy the race. 
also the perspective that at the end of the day you know we're we're just messing about in boats on a river you know it's not actually important yeah yeah um it, it, it's the thing with sport we had a bit of a moment after the games it was you know all got pretty emotional in the team 10 after and it was just like you know it's why do we put ourselves through it <laughs> like it's it it's it means nothing but yeah. it means absolutely everything at the same time <laughs> and and yeah you know things things always look better after a cup of coffee and and a bit of time to reflect that's what i've learned but then so a lot of athletes we've had on of they they've got this north star for a long time that's their their olympic gold medal right but i get the impression that um and i actually saw one of your posts that you put out after you came you know fourth in tokyo which we'll get on to in a bit um but you know you're just like we move on we've got you know we, we you know we just keep moving what what does like ultimately push you through those really tough challenging days if you haven't got that kind of like right i'm gonna go for that kind of like sure you want to go for this goal but you've also got that kind of perspective that you spoke about that that like athletes often develop probably a bit further down the line but they've still got a bit of that naivety i feel mm. um at a younger age yeah no absolutely and and yeah 100 percent. i'm all in for paris um <laughs> and um you know I'm, I'm in business when i go there i've learned learned a lot from the first olympic experience and um you know hope i get to to go again and and make amends so what what i've learned almost since coming forth at the games actually yeah um, you know i see, actually see that as a bit of a gift in a sense um because the best part of all of this is you know the pursuit of it it's it's one thing you learn and it, again it's another one of these lessons that you have to learn time and time again mm. um when you get what you want you only want more yeah yeah it, it's not everything it's not everything it was cracked up to be um you know i've had that feeling before you know, in that sense, coming forth means this dream of becoming Olympic champion is still very much alive. You know, I've got mm. at least another three years of pursuing that. Yeah. Um, it's It's been up and down for me um, since Tokyo, like mentally, it's, it, it's, it's weird. You know, coming back from an experience like that, it's, it's not the real world. It's just madness. You know, I had so much purpose every day um, working towards one, one moment really you know I, I just wanted to feel a certain way when I was in the start blocks um, and I achieved that and that was awesome and then it's it's done it's a fleeting moment and it's gone yeah yeah and all of a sudden you know you're back at home and you're washing the dishes <laughs> um, and in in like in my Olympic experience because of COVID and stuff we had to fly home straight away the games were still going on mm. and I, I was here it was you know it's it was really strange and yeah I think you know for a long time I just lacked purpose mm. um not not necessarily because I lacked it just because before I had so much mm. um and it's like well now what are my goals what am I actually working towards what what you know I, I started sleeping in a lot missing meals and things because it was just like well I didn't have that drive to get out of bed and go do something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, it did take a little while to come back. And, you know, the best piece of advice I actually got was to, to act as though you're actually going to step away from the sport completely and don't come back until you feel that fire. Yeah. And I knew it would come. I knew, I knew I'd always be all in for Paris. Yeah. But, yeah, that's how I tried to treat it, really. And then, you know, it... It came for me. We we had a strange season because we still had a few more races after the games, which you wouldn't normally do. That would normally be the end. Um, 
and I went to one in Spain um, this World Cup. Um, didn't do so well, you know. Had had some time off, and it was in the plan to stay at home the following weekend when there was another World Cup race in France. And it was when I was watching that, and I was seeing the guys that you know I always see on on the riverbank, and um, you know, it, it's quite it's a nice sport. It, it's pretty friendly. There's not yeah. no one really has beef with each other. Everyone tends to be pretty stoked when when someone does well. Um, yeah. And I was I remember just watching the final just like oh I want to be there yeah and I was like that was my moment of realizing you know ah oh, you know I, you know I've you know climbed one of the mountains I've, I've been to the Olympic Games but I still really want to do this and it's I want those feelings I want to race um and I got a bit of motivation back and yeah like we had a world championships um which I was not in the shape I was in in Tokyo for but um you know I think still wanted to go and do something and yeah made the final which is pretty respectable it did feel a little bit of an opportunity miss, but it's that, that sport sometimes. Um, but to be honest, I was looking forward to getting back from that race and just getting going because um, most of our work goes on in the winter. Yeah, We prepare for the season uh, to start in April. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, this is it now. We're in the Paris cycle. So um, I'm, I'm like absolutely stoked to be off of it um, because, you know, even like last week, um, we didn't have access to white water until Monday, really. And I'm just sat twiddling my thumbs and I got these to-do lists and stuff like that. I'm like, I'll get all that done whilst I've got some time off. None of it gets done. And then, you know, as soon as I start training again, it's like everything else in my life has fallen back into place. Yeah. Yeah. I ticked all those jobs off in like two days, like in my lunchtime between sessions, just because it was like just moving every day, being motivated, like wanting to get stuff done. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a bit of attention from the original question, but a lot of things to touch on. Like, firstly, I, I definitely understand what you're saying about like it's it's much more about the the climb rather than getting to the top of that hill. And you've mm. basically earned yourself another couple of years of that climb, which is the best part of it. Um, but it takes a lot of people quite a long time to realize that, I think. Um, but it's very interesting. The other thing that I sort of thought about there is I, I almost feel like because when you're talking at the start about you going out there as a kid and like playing like making these making up these things games that you do with yourself and like training things it's like that's that's that needs to be the far ultimately to get you going again rather than the kind of goal and then the goal materializes again once you're kind of out there having, having all that fun and everything mm. um and the final thing that was that i thought was really interesting um i'm just trying to remember now i'll tell you what i've got this one question i'm sure it'll come back to me do you have a psychologist yeah i do yeah we've um we're pretty lucky as part of our program of I've always worked with a psychologist since well, one of my coaches when I first moved to Nottingham, I was quite young. I moved, um, left home when I was 16 um, to train in Notts. And my coach there was pretty much like my psychologist as well. We probably had a team one, um, but not for like one-to-one style work. Um, but then, yeah, as, soon, as I've been a senior athlete for sure, you know, um, mm. I've worked with a psychologist one-to-one for most of that. Well, like, what was one of the most important lessons that you learned from uh, speaking with that psychologist? Oh, there's loads. Um, we actually, you know, we, we work in such a tight unit at the moment um, between myself, my coach, and, and my psych. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, the other service providers, strength and conditioning, physio, Mm-hmm. Um, nutrition, performance, lifestyle, all of that. Certainly building into Tokyo, I'd almost put equal importance on my technical coach and my sports psych. Like that's how important this stuff is. Yeah. Um, and my my training, I, I try to almost 
my training on the water, I see it as split into I'm either going training to get better at canoeing mm-hmm. or I'm going training to get better at racing. Yeah. There's a really clear distinction there. Um, we've got development, we've got delivery. Um, and when it's development, yeah, it's, you know, it's very technical focused. Um, I'm happy to make mistakes. I'm there to play, get things wrong, just learn. Sure. And then, and then the delivery stuff. Yeah. That is, that's just all psychology. Um, yeah. And we, you know, what I'm working on in those sessions comes from discussions between myself and my psych. And then also the three of us and they're the really powerful conversations um, where we get three of us in a room and, and sometimes we, we end up revisiting the same meeting for about three weeks. It goes on for hours and then we get this nugget and it's like, that's what we're working on. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly important. Really interesting. Um, well, are there any, um, are there any things that you learned from your psychologist about, like I come back to the kind of childhood thing mm-hmm. um, that you learned that like, um any areas of your childhood that sometimes come back to kind of haunt you in any sort of ways uh when you when you're doing the um when you when you're competing or whether you're going through tougher times i guess in a sense that that would be more almost more like therapy in a way um and i think you know almost the majority of what are the work that i do at the moment is it's very performance focused okay um i guess something similar that we've done um is is really understanding um like my personality and yeah. like traits which that will have come from childhood my bringing my childhood all of that yeah um and, and and yeah we do this um there's this great profiling that we've done um and it's I, I think it's called a spotlight profile and you end up with this diagram and the spotlight is shining on this graph and you've got you know four different mindsets and um yeah it can show you where your like biases, which for me, it's, um, they call it optimistic engaged. Um, and then the ones that are more in the shadow are um, prudent and contained. Um, so that's like something that, you know, and all four have got their pros and cons. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Some are more suitable to certain yeah. times than others. What's really great about that is, you know, you can start to see where your blind spots are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've not just done our profiles, we've done coaches, teammates, that sort of stuff. You can see together where your blind yeah. spots might be. And then, yeah, you know, we learn things from that about how we might have to, um, um, you know, put things in place, I guess. So yeah. you know, one for us is, is, is between myself and my coach, we're both kind of on that optimistic side. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both very laid back and um you know certain things like you know we need to have a meeting about something i don't know um review the video from a session perhaps we both might okay you know we'll do it this afternoon yeah you know this afternoon is a pretty general term we've both got schedules yeah there was a time where we probably just say that and then you know it comes to it i'm ready he's not he's ready i'm not it doesn't get done doesn't matter you know we'll do it tomorrow Yeah. Um, yeah There's things like that, you know, that, that, you know, learning this, like through the, the profiling and stuff we've learned, actually, no, we need to put a time on that mm. because we're oh, both yeah. laid back. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. that's really, because we, yeah, we do, um, so I study innovation at university and we mm. do a bit of these sort of techniques of like trying to understand like how different people operate and like how different people operate within team environments and, and that sort of stuff. And it's just so useful because 
Um, I read a book recently um, called Rebel Ideas. I don't know if you've heard of it by, by Matthew Syed, um, but it's all about like how different kind of um, different brains with different kind of neuro neurologies. I think that's like what it's called. Whatever it is, can come together and really produce very powerful outcomes. Um, and mm. so it's really interesting that they they do that sort of stuff um, with you there. Um, but on the topic of kind of studies and things like that, as I understand it, you also, alongside doing all your uh, slalom, studied at Nottingham. Yeah, I went to uh, Nottingham Trent um, a long time ago now, it seems. Um, yeah, I graduated in 2015, I think. Yeah. 14, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I studied sports science and management there, which I think, yeah, you know, I did... I did the sciences at A levels. It was like, yeah, I'll do sports science. Um, I don't think yeah. I thought too much about it. I think if I could go back, I'd probably do um, something like philosophy. Actually, um, I was actually quite into that when I was at school before, and yeah, just went down that route. But um, yeah, because I, I guess sports science at, at like undergraduate level, it what I, you know, I, I wasn't as interested in it as I thought I would be. I think being involved in elite sport, having the kinds of conversations I was having with, you know, people that are world-class in all of these fields. It, it wasn't as interesting as I hoped, I think, but um, actually what it did do was, um, it was sports science and management, my course. Um, and I ended up pretty much dropping all the sports science modules and just doing management ones by the end. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I was really interested in. Um, yeah. And I think since has kind of given me, I guess it's an idea of what I'd potentially do post-sport um, because it, it, kind of shined a light on the similarities between the, you know, the traits of people successful in that world and successful athletes. And that's something that is worth sharing. Yeah. That, um, yeah. You know, it's when I start thinking about retirement, um, that's hopefully that, not too soon. Hopefully not too yeah, soon. Yeah. I got a little while. Yeah. It's like my body holds out. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things I'm really curious about though is um, cause you said at the start that you're the sort of person that wants to get out there and do it all. Um, and I can definitely relate with that. Like I'll try and do absolutely everything. What sort of ways have you kind of been able to, I suppose, ensure that you manage your time? It's time management. It's also energy management. Yeah. Okay. I guess it depends a bit on the kind of person you are. Like, um, you know, some people find it hard to say yes and some people find it hard to say no. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm more the latter, you know, if, you know, opportunity comes up, um, I'll, I'll, I do find it hard to say no to stuff. So I think, um, you know, I, I try and prioritize. So obviously, you know, my sport comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be certain times of the year, postseason, things like that, where it can take a back step. Um, but no, sport absolutely takes priority and recovery from my sport. Yeah. Um, which that's a biggie for me. You know, that, that's something I learned so much more about when, um, you know, previously I've had to work alongside um, and going into the year uh, for Olympic selection. I, you know, I was like the guys I'm racing against, they aren't working on the weekends, um, slightly better funding and stuff. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm not letting that be the reason I don't make the team. Yeah. yeah. Not letting money come into this um so you know i'm not going to work and i can rest at the weekends um you know it made it tight but obviously it was worthwhile in the end i got the spot but that that taught me a lot um and it was something that um was part of the the tokyo project for me really was you know really prioritizing rest um 
you can you can try your best but you're you're not going to out train everyone that's just that that's a fact yeah um, if you are if you do you probably get injured yeah. um or you know in my case you know my biggest rival is just an absolute machine and i learned many years ago i'll never compete with his volume i got to find a different way yeah um but what you can do is out recover people you know it's it's yeah. everything you do outside of training that ensures you turn up on training feeling that little bit better i look more at volume over a year than volume over a week now because if if your training's like this because you're overdoing it and how and breaking it's not as good as if you're just at this level you know all yeah. the time so yeah so you know prioritizing obviously training and recovery that's absolutely number one for me mm-hmm. and then and then yeah you know post olympics and stuff it is it is a time to reflect and think about what else i want to do and you know there's never a bad time to start preparing for the future yeah um you know and you know the reality is we do have time on our hands during the day that it it would be a shame to just not do anything so in my post games my head was just all over it's like i want to do this i want to do this i want to do that yeah and you know um certain opportunities were coming up even you know i was considering different like work experiences and things like that um but then actually you know what i'm doing right now i qualified as a breathwork instructor recently um as well as a yoga instructor the breathwork is something that i'm really passionate about um really keen to share more about that um and i've decided that you know well that's my other thing now i've got i'm not taking anything else on so i, I will say no to stuff um yeah. or not right now <laughs> um but yeah i think that's 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 it for me it's 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 learning that you do have to say no sometimes as exciting as opportunities might be it's yeah um, it's tough isn't it if you've got a priority you know you can I'm a big believer that, you know, you know, I hate the phrase jack of all trades, master of none, because it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's if you um, there's a great study on um, Nobel Prize winners. Yeah. OK. And um, it's like their average number of, of like hobbies and interests outside of their specialist field compared to the average person. And it's like astronomically different. They do. You know, they're they're all they're a Nobel Prize winner, but they're also like, you know, grade eight violinist and a painter and yeah. incredible athlete um you know a lot of the ancient greek philosophers were also incredible athletes and things um so i don't believe that at all but you know i think you can be you know interested and good at lots of things and a master at one of them yeah um if you're not spreading yourself too thin by trying to be good at everything you know there's 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 a balance there um, you almost have to kind of go in hard on one and then sort of be a bit more casual with the others and let yeah yeah out. and i mean um like you must have come across this with the innovation as well like you don't innovate unless you're 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 in other fields do you know what i mean something mm-hmm. you learn um you know the the main part of my approach to racing and racing philosophy at the moment came it it came to me on a yoga mat yeah yeah um, I, I wouldn't have had that lesson um yeah. so um you know these and you do it's when it, it, it's good for the brain you know, to start making these connections and um you know i'm a massive believer in that stuff um but certainly yeah don't spread yourself too thin yeah no so interesting um there's there is a cl- another example that comes up from that book that i mentioned earlier that i mentioned rebel, rebel ideas where it's literally like i'll just summarize it really quickly but they talk about um the the 9-11 incident and how all the um all the people that were kind of 
working in the CIA at the time were all from exactly the same background. Mm. Um, so they had all kind of come out of Harvard or whatever. They were the smartest people. But, you know, to summarize it quickly, there was no kind of neural diversity in the team or anything like that. And so all their ideas and all their thoughts and everything were driven from exactly one place, which meant that a whole massive chunk of information um, was being was being missed out. Um, mm. And so that was kind of one of the key factors um, that the guy points to in his book here that led to everything happening with um, 9-11. But yeah, definitely kind of worth, um, if you're interested, looking into that. Uh, they, um, they call it groupthink, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Term, yeah. And it's, it, um, I think, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is, 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 is to que- not question everything, you know, question yeah. your own existence. No, I don't mean like that, but, you know, question every process that you're doing. You know, why am I doing this? Why yeah. are we doing it this way? Um, and, you know, f- for instance, COVID was actually, you know, quite interesting in that respect. It, it, it made us review certain things. It made us review the way that, um, the way we review training sessions when all of a sudden I can't sit next to my coach and watch the session on a, on a laptop. It's like, well, why do we do that anyway? Yeah. How do we want to do it right now? How do we want to do that going forwards? Mm-hmm. Um, and we came up with some interesting things. We've like changed a lot as, as a result of that. Yeah. Tell me quickly about the breathe uh, work that you do, because it sounds really interesting. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I follow the school of thought of um, the oxygen advantage, which, um, you know, I believe that's that's that to be the sort of the gold standard in this field at the moment. It's just fascinating, to be honest. The crux of it is, which again I find really interesting, is you know the whole, the main purpose of a breathwork practice is that you don't need a breathwork practice. Yeah. Essentially, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get functional breathing. That's like the goal, so that you don't need to to do any exercises for it. Yeah, I mean the main the main things that that we do are prioritizing nasal breathing, day and night. So um, you know one of the first like tips like a really easy one anyone can do is um to tape your mouth shut when you go to sleep at night okay yeah um which sounds quite scary i've been doing that about like four and a half years now Um, so even though you know i'm happy that i've probably adapted um i still continue to do it because it's peace of mind it's you know i've heard it described as um passive income for your health um and absolutely is it's it's what however long you sleep for eight to nine hours of you know uninterrupted nasal breathing which um for a number of reasons we could go into if we had more time um is is what we should be doing it's way better for you yeah that's, i mean that's so interesting I, but surely evolution would say that you know we've we're, we've adapted because of a certain way to breathe through our nose and mouth so um yeah so see the see the mouth is like a turbo okay you abs- if you absolutely have to, if you yeah. absolutely need it, you know, there's some great studies. You, you can work up to sort of 90, 95% of your VO2 max, just breathing through your nose. But at the same time, you've got a lower respiratory rate. Um, you're losing less moisture. It's less upper chest. It's using your diaphragm more. Um, the blood's distributed better across your lungs. Um, airways are more open. Circulation's better. All these things. And yeah, you know, you say evolution, it's, it's really interesting that if, um, um, he has diagrams actually in his book, there's a guy called James Nestor who did loads of, on this, um, had a book, I think it was last year it came out, just called Breath. And um, the diagrams of the skulls, the ancient skulls and the difference in, um, in like the jaw and the back of the nose. And 
you know, a bit to do with like softer foods, things like that. I guess if you go back even further, it's to do with the brain growing. The brain's taking up more space yeah. in the skull than it used to. But yeah, that 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 passageway, it's 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 not as open as it used to be. Um, and there's certain, you know, we're all we're all born. Most of us are born breathing, you know, completely functionally. Um, and these things are unlearned over time mm. because of, you know, poor diet, um, you know, just just conditioning, just what we see, the images yep. from one sort of hunched over heavy breathing. Mm-hmm. I think you, know, you, you learn to expect that's how you should be after you finish a hard bout of exercise. Yeah. No reason for it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, diet, alcohol, sleep, stress, there's all these things that kind of contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated in the moment. It, and it's less about performance, to be honest, as it is about longevity for me. It's, it's the health and longevity yeah. side of it. So, um, you know, coming from someone who was an awful breather, mm-hmm. actually, and, and what I've learned about it and the difference it's made to my, my own health. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what's got me so gripped. That's so interesting. I never thought we'd be talking about taping our mouths <laughs> at the end of this episode, but um, no, that's so, so interesting. I'll, I'll actually have a look at that further because it does sound um, really, really fascinating. Going, moving away from, from your sport. Yeah. You've got some hobbies, including, you know, playing the guitar, piano. Does, does this also come into taking your mind and passion away from sport to focus on something else, to give yourself a bit of breathing space to, develop and also enjoy something else away from sport definitely yeah you know that's that's um that's one of the things we touched on there like it's 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 a bit about the perspective you know you've got this whole other life going on you know i'm not just someone that messes about in a boat um and it that that's what helps you to grow that that perspective you know if you're not getting what you want competitively you know you're still this there's so much more to you you're still a person with hobbies and interests and values and so yeah you know i think it's um just helps you to be more like a well-rounded person um and like it, it's a bit of like i guess like psychological like security and then at the same time yeah as well you know i i do think that that's linked to to innovation and and creativity in what i do um when i'm training um it, it's amazing the things you draw from you know a, a book you've read or something and something that might seem so irrelevant and it it just twigs something and mm. you, know, you learn something about the sport or whatever going back to the psychology psychology when i was at school my coach was always wanting to tell me to fake it till you make it i'm not sure if you've heard of that but he was always wanting me to you know yeah pretend, pretend you're the best to actually get yourself to the top my dad um is an officer in the army and he was like he's what, what are you doing like this isn't good for your mentality it's like no 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 i'm i'm actually like you know telling myself that i want to become do you want to elaborate and yeah absolutely you know i i'm a massive believer that this stuff is so powerful um you know it's manifesting law of attraction that, that kind of thing and actually um you know in the build-up to selection for tokyo it's it was about 10 months out um and and i had this this vision that i'd qualified the spot and and yeah i'm literally driving down the m6 i've been visiting my parents i was coming back down to london to start my winter's training and yeah it was so overcome by the emotion of it 
um you know it felt just like the real thing as bawling my eyes out it was it, it was crazy I just qualified for the Olympic Games and obviously I hadn't it was 10 months away but you know that I knew what it felt like after that and that was a feeling and a, a situation I just tried to put myself back there actually every single day um throughout that series and it was a long selection series it was um a good six months of racing and obviously the training before that and yeah I just got more comfortable with it with the idea that it was happening and it was something I carried forward into my Olympic preparations in that um in a slightly more refined way I think in that you know I, I tried to tell myself you know I wrote it down Alan Burgess Olympic champion obviously it didn't didn't quite manifest in the end but I think it was a powerful exercise um and it, you almost try and reverse engineer it it's like well what are these traits mm. um and I sometimes ask myself that in training if I was struggling with something it's like well how how would Olympic champion Adam do that yeah. how am I supposed to be you know um in this moment um yeah no that stuff is 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 it totally works powerful <laughs> it's very important to understand the the trilogy and wanting to actually want and have the hunger to do something like that yeah, definitely, definitely. And if you felt it, you know, I felt like I was, you know, I was doing imagery work where I, I could literally feel the weight of the medal around my neck going into the, uh, well, a bit more further out from the games, so more motivation. By the time you get there, it's, I was so strict mentally on, you know, I, I'm never getting ahead of myself, um, mm. never reviewing. It was all about that moment in the start pool um, and that moment to moment focus during the run um but certainly you know that's what it gets you out of bed in the morning it gets you breaking the ice on the cold days to go training we're going to be asking you to do, say um two truths and one lie so if you say three statements um and we will have a guess which one we think is the lie i'm actually a twin i'm a twin brother okay i also have met part of the royal family when i was younger um i was school chess champion There we go, two truths and a lie from Adam Burgess. Thank you so much for all your support so far, and it would mean a huge amount to us if you are able to give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to, as it really does help us build this fantastic community and get the word out there. See you again next week. Bye for now.